The Rufus Project would like to advise the following podcast contains spoilers for the 1982 movie Mazes and Monsters. If you do not wish to have this movie spoiled, please watch the movie before listening to the following podcast. Was it a cautionary tale about the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons combined with mental illness? Or a great start to a promising career for a major actor. We watched Mazes and Monsters from 1982 to find out if it was redeemable. Were we successful? Find out after the theme. So bad it's good, what's this movie do you think we should? It's got bad guy love, dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Hello and welcome to the Rufus Project Redeeming Features cast, this time looking at the 1982 Tom Hanks movie, Mazes and Monsters. I'm your host, Trevor Holland, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host... Christian Fletcher, thank you, Trevor. It's great to be back for the Rufus Project Redeeming Features, and I believe we have an extra, an even extra special guest here tonight. We we certainly do. Being a, a movie that is uh, kind of linked back to Dungeons and Dragons in a very yeah, so-so way, I thought we'd better get someone who uh, has a bit more experience with Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't actually played it for probably the better part of. Uh, maybe about 15 years. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast Steve Beeston. Steve, how are you this evening? I am fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome, Steve. It's great to have you. Good to throw a bit of light on this Dungeons & Dragons um, situation, which I know nothing about, so I'm glad I've got you guys to sort of (laughs) guide me a little bit. Yeah, when I watch the film, there's there's not that much you really need to know. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of gathered as much. Yeah, there's a couple of parts. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely see how it was a, um, a yeah, how can, how can we confuse, yeah, how, how can we get people think it's not Dungeons and Dragons without, yeah, anyway, without pretty much making exactly the same thing, but I'm sure you'd be able to enlighten me on how oh, Interesting piece are. of trivia, the, uh, the book that it was based off was called uh, Mazes and Monsters, but they were originally going to call the film Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I have read that too, because that is, because a that is based on an actual actual case that actually happened in the late 70s or early 80s that there was, the book was based on, or it might have been a fictional take on this tale. So it did also have the beginnings as a book, but you'd probably know a bit more about that. Well, uh, basically, the story is pretty well known um, through Dungeons & Dragons communities, um, at least, you know, little snippets here and there. So it's a guy called Dallas Edgar who... Um, the story Mazes and Monsters is based upon. And the story goes that his high-level character was killed and he lost the plot and committed suicide. The story Mazes and Monsters was based very loosely off that and the author released it as quickly as she could because she was afraid other people might be writing the story as well. So I understand the book was written in a matter of days, if if not days, then at least weeks to get it written and published. And then the film is based on this wildly inaccurate book. And I get the feeling too so, that the uh, film was almost kind of rushed out as well to kind of get it get it on film before it was sort of you know um, yeah as you were saying before anyone else started doing it. So it kind of gave that feel, but I don't it, know. It, it certainly fact- has that rushed feel. Yeah, and I don't know if it was the fact. Hey, I was watching uh, watching the movie off YouTube, so it might have been the fact that it, it looked like it was taken off a really bad VHS, and and being a film that's set mostly underground, you know, essentially, you know, it it was quite hard to view. But you know, I definitely still felt it had that TV movie feel about it, and um, yeah. I'm glad that we weren't watching sort of... I would have been disappointed if this was a motion picture as such, so... (laughs) Absolutely. I I did turn the brightness of my screen all the way up so that I could see certain scenes. Ah, that was a good idea. (laughs) That's what I should have done. (laughs) I managed to get through. But actually, the bits I missed, I don't really think I missed that much anyway. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we're certainly covering the trivia here <laughs> nice and early, which is perfect. Um, I think covered over most of the, the, uh, information that I had as well. Uh, it's rated 4.2 on IMDb, which I think is kind of surprising it actually managed mm. to get that high. Uh, I, I know I do like to talk about the budget. I've, I've searched as far as wide as I could and uh, just assume that this was basically done as cheap as possible to make it a rushed-out TV movie. Um, and uh, I guess, yeah, Tom Hanks' first major movie role. He, he had been in a few TV shows, and I think he was a moderately uh, well-known TV actor at the time. Uh, but, yeah, so he obviously stepped into TV movies before finally making the, the break into mainstream cinema somehow after doing this. Yeah, I don't really think this was his, necessarily his uh, the one that made him a household name, you know. But you know, as you said, not being able to find the budget, it's interesting to know, you know, how well would it have gone, or how how many people watched this TV movie. But you know, you guys were aware of it, and I suppose it had this has this, I suppose, cult around it through Dungeons and Dragons. So I suppose that you know, there are people out there that, that knew of it, so or know of it. Yeah, well, I was actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. At the time when, uh, I mean, as a, as a moral panic and outrage goes, the whole Dungeons and Dragons, uh, panic didn't last all that long. So there was a quite a small window in order to get a, a movie out to take advantage of that, uh, that, that concern at the time in the early 80s. Oh, gosh, it, it really just did play out as that cautionary tale. I don't know if either of you have seen, like, the, the, or know of the 30s uh, film Reef and Madness, where they kind of showed the extremes of, you know, smoking marijuana by, like, people going insane as soon as they do it. You know, it kind of reminded me it was like a Reef and Madness for the 80s, you know, like, possibly showing the worst case scenario on what can happen to these people. But, you know, as a result, it was just this quite negative feel throughout because yeah it was really this cautionary tale that that you know that the parents i suppose wanted to show their kids to throw them against it i read a few reviews where yeah kids were shown it as kid you know um their parents put the video on and, and you know they pretty much as a way to turn them against dungeons and dragons as a result it made them want to play it even more so i don't know well, I, that's I think why that's why i got into it yeah, well, that's the thing. So it sounds like at least you're kind of you're seeing as close as you can. I don't know if there's you, you may correct me on this. I don't I assume there's no other Dungeons and Dragons type films or, or as such, or I, I don't know. But you know, th this is probably one of the you know the, the main ways you can see it, I suppose, on film in some way. <laughs> I think the actual Dungeons there, there and Dragons the Jeremy movie. Irons one. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it, uh, it shows how much I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that movie actually would turn people off Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> now, for well, anyone who is going to go and watch the Dungeons and Dragons film there is one way to make that film redeemable and if you watch it from the point of view that it's the game being played by players so it's happening okay. in someone's lounge room with Mountain Dew and cheesy Doritos and is being played by characters well by players and, and the movies about their characters and it actually makes for a, a slightly more watchable film we may have to add that to an upcoming redeeming feature. <laughs> I've, I've got to admit, uh, um, I, I was considering it. It was th it was that or Mazes and Monsters. So, <laughs> yeah, well, and, uh, we've, the, we've the fact certainly that they, gone with the cream of the two choices. <laughs> the, the fact that this this yeah this stars Oscar winner Tom Hanks, um, and and because this is our final redeeming features of the year. No more podcasts after this one until our Christmas episode, by the way, guys. Um, I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll finish with an Oscar winner just to, uh, to uh, I suppose, try to get a bit of class in there at the end. <laughs> now, if we're talking about this film as a cautionary tale, it in itself can be quite confusing because there's so many things that uh, crop up that it looks like you're supposed to be turned against. Um in particular, wearing different hats in every scene. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one I of did... the characters, he, he has like a different hat in almost every scene. You hardly ever see him without a hat. Yeah, I believe my favourite was when he's dressed up in a uh, suit and bow tie and is wearing a plastic construction helmet. Uh, yeah, uh, good old good old JJ. We will get to JJ in more detail. I, I do guarantee that. But before we get too much more into the movie, it's so hard not to dive into these things. Oh, I know. We, we do like to start at the bottom of the barrel and, and sort of give ourselves a baseline in which to to build off. So uh, I've uh, trawled Amazon and I've come across a review 
that uh, I think gives us that uh, that baseline that we can build from. So the title of this one is Crummy, Transparent, Failed Drama with a Blunt, Misguided Message. A full-on smear campaign about the evils of Dungeons & Dragons, from the height of parental outcry against the game. Funny and sad in the same context as Reef of Madness, it's akin to a long after-school after special in the blunt, inelegant way it hammers away at its only point. An extremely young Tom Hanks, freshly released from his run on Bosom Buddies, cut his teeth on more serious material in this leading role. As the poor sap who knows dives into deep mental illness as a direct result of the game, he is his part is madly corny and he clearly had some growing pains to work through before becoming the dramatic juggernaut we'd come to know a decade later. Badly produced, terribly acted, smug and boring and predictable to the final reveal. It's a living stereotype of the very essence of a bad-for-made TV movie. One star. Do we think that's a bit harsh, guys, or is that kind of uh, hitting the right level? Well, I'm, I'm going to say it's a bit harsh because I think it hits many, many, many different points. It starts off with all of these kids' failures in life. You know, one of them is uh, is an A student but has a, a mother who... Uh, constantly rearranges his room, and he has terrible <laughs> relationship with her. And an the, obsession uh, with hats. This... <laughs> and an obsession with hats. There's the uh, the son of the uh, businessman, and the, the father just wants his son to go into work and study hard and do well, and he just wants to, uh, to develop computer games. And being that he was keen on role-playing games, and this was the early 80s, and he eventually uh, didn't go down that path. He probably missed out on a billion-dollar business. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, early 80s, role-playing games on uh, computer, weren't too many of them. Mm -hmm. But it was a typical thing like like you see in these movies, the parents going, oh, no, you have to get a proper career. Oh, but that's what I really want to do. And they almost have to, yeah, you have to set up these all these different walks of life that will eventually come together. Because like we were saying earlier, like this. Oh, well, like I was saying, actually, like it can seem like a very negative film, but one thing it doesn't sort of highlight is there are positives by being in a friendship circle. You know, it was kind of like, but they really had to set up these kids that had, you know, lots of things going wrong for them. I've even got my notes here. What a sorry bunch of kids. That's what came to my mind in those first couple of scenes because more so the fact that they're just subjected to so much stuff from their parents and things all like that. All those, so. all the parents, all the parents are just completely messed up and. Uh, especially when Tom Hanks turns up and, you know, the the dad's just basically angry at pretty much everything and the mum's completely drunk. Don't oh, you yeah, she's the one that's just like, I'm only drunk to get through the day. But what I love about it was the mums were played by, well, uh, you've got Anne Francis and Vera Miles, two big actresses of the 50s and 60s, you know, and they, I think Anne Francis was the mum that rearranges the room and Vera Miles was the alcoholic mum. So I thought, God, you've got these iconic Hollywood actresses even in this. So, But then, at least they had the roles of, I don't know, these bitchy older mums. I don't know. But I thought that was quite interesting bit of trivia. I think my favourite backstory was uh, Kate, the uh, female lead of the film, and her backstory was that she was a strong feminist and couldn't find a man because men didn't like her being smarter than them. And so she kept on pretending to be dumb to uh, be with men. And she wanted to be a writer. Yep, she wanted to be a famous writer, but she had writer's block. Just not, 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 not more than that. The only she thing stopping her from being a famous she, writer is being that she has a writer's block. But she had writer's block because she couldn't, how could she know about the world if she hadn't travelled the world? And she wanted to travel the world. The next best well, thing, an imaginary world of dungeons and, sorry, mazes and monsters. Mm -hmm. Better get that right. <laughs> yeah, and when they actually get to the game, I think this is where the budget got spent on uh, on the candles alone. Like, your, your typical Dungeons and Dragons game is played at someone's dining room table and they've sort of pushed off whatever project they were working on so that you can fit the game books on and there's a big bowl of cheese Doritos in the middle and you know your dice are getting sticky from junk food and someone may have bought a bowl of hot Hungarian salami um, and yeah, you know in this film it's like the whole room is ablaze with candles. Oh, it's like they're going to have some really bizarre seance or something like that, and it's really like they've gone, make this look as creepy as hell so no one wants to play this. <laughs> yeah, they, they certainly go for the ambience and uh, and the sheer 
earnest performances of the four main actors uh, when when they're playing the game. I, I mean, like I said, it's been quite some time since I played Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, I think it's safe to say that we were never quite that earnest or serious uh, once we uh, once we got behind the game books and started rolling the dice. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, out of game comments that will normally go around for any D and D game. Yeah, but I, yeah, from the looks of it, there wasn't a packet of corn chips in sight with these guys. Oh, that was <laughs> serious stuff for them. They they probably wouldn't let any any greasy food anywhere near their game tables. <laughs> I, I love their notebooks. The, the their notebooks were college binders, but the paper inside was like this, just revived from an archaeological dig. This <laughs> feathery papyrus type material that their note book paper was made on but it was in this pristine binder I, I loved that that was great oh god yeah and it's like but like once you get past those first few scenes where you literally are thinking you're watching some romantic well what's going to be some romantic telly movie or something just with that awful i've looked at was it friends in this world which is that awful theme song which you know you do hear several times throughout the film so in those first couple of scenes i was still wondering you know what's happening with this are these people you know are, are people gonna is something gonna happen with these kids that's gonna get them out of these um these doldrums as such but yeah we obviously saw things take off a bit more but going into it when, when trevor first suggested this film and i looked into it a bit more and i was quite fascinated by the whole angle of the psychological and and i suppose the whole obsession and and, and i sort of interpreted it as yeah he disappeared and there was a mystery around that but I felt that as a concept didn't really come through in the film and could have been developed so much more like I, I don't know when Tom Hanks so, first shows up and his his mum tells him oh, don't go back to playing that game and he turns up at this party and they're peer pressuring him into joining this game that's almost the only part of the film where it looks like they're they're hammering that you know the similarities to drugs or alcohol or anything like that where they you know, he doesn't want to play the game, but other people are pressuring and pushing him into it. He ends up doing it to get close to a girl and and all of that. Yeah, the rest I... of the film, the game itself is almost a positive light when this kid ends up having troubles, which are mostly triggered by his brother going missing. And, you know, this is Tom Hanks. He turns up. He's already being messed around by his parents everything you find out about his character is something worse for the poor guy. Um, and at, there's so much that they've crammed into this film that it doesn't feel like it's the mazes of monsters, which is his problem. Yeah. You, know, you look and, at the, yeah, you look at the other three characters, they're actually, they actually end up being quite together. Uh, and, and the fact that they are close actually makes them quite an, ex, ex, quite an effective, almost Scooby gang. When, uh, yeah, when the and mystery comes even to one down. of them has the line at the end of the film. It's like you know he's he's part of our game. We've got to go and and help him. And they go, you know, to New York and up and down the World Trade Center and uh, to uh, to rescue this guy because you know he's one of their gamers. And it's this sort of very positive light. It's like I was saying earlier about the whole yeah it heightens the whole thing about friendship circles and how important it was. So the, the, it, it brought these it took these people out of these, these I suppose essentially bad places for a little bit. It was escapism for them, you know. So yeah, like you were saying, it was showing the game in a very positive light. Um, but the one thing it did, um, one thing that we can all kind of relate to, well, I know I can, is we all have obsessions or things that we're addicted to and things like that. And I can see how, you know, like obviously this, this works perfectly for that. But it's like because the, the film didn't have enough time to develop, it was almost like they're playing it. The next thing is just caught up in the, you know, hallucinatory <laughs> side of things. So it really just sort of happened way too quickly. It could have been a really interesting thing that uh, him degrade a little bit more or start to get, yeah, worse, but it just sort of happened way too fast. That's what I noticed. I actually thought JJ, for a little bit, it looked like JJ was going to be the messed up one because he, he starts yeah. contemplating suicide. If I can just quickly mention JJ and particularly that party, JJ, who with his IQ of 190, who wears all these different hats ranging from ridiculous to just completely out there. I think he was wearing like a, a German helmet at one point. The party is a he party starts for... starts off with it. With yeah, the yeah, exactly. But the yeah. party is a party for Bridget Bardot's birthday. Let's face it, this guy was a hipster way ahead of his time. 
but he's me thinking he's having a party and no one else, not many other people are going to turn up, but it's packed. So obviously all these other people are keen, but I love how, love, I think it was Tom Hanks or, yeah, Tom Hanks' character. He says, oh, is Bridget actually going to be there? And he's like, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah, original hipster. <laughs> when he was talking about suicide, I'm not sure if it was supposed to come across eventually that he was actually talking about killing off his characters so he could start the new game. Yeah, it's like I lost on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure if um, you know. Obviously, there's the red herring there. Uh, but then uh, you know they get into the caverns and they've got the game going on, and all of a sudden Tom Hanks starts hallucinating, and he becomes his character, and that's when he has his complete mental breakdown, and it it really becomes a very very strange film from that point on because it's not highlighting any dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. It's just highlighting cruelty of people towards uh, anyone with a mental condition. From about halfway, it sort of started to turn to go that just that middle of the road detective story type thing. You know, when they were the, the, you know, they're getting interrogated by the the, um, the policeman and stuff like that. I felt that it was just gonna. It was just feeling it, that to me, heighten the whole TV movie feel of it. Oh, we're just going through the motions now. Gee, I wonder what did it. Ah, oh, the kids will look into it. And then you've just got lots of scenes of Tom Hanks running <laughs> or stumbling around New York City, which just seemed to keep going on and on. I don't know if it was just me that thought that. <laughs> it, it wasn't that that kept going on and on. It was like you had Tom Hawks wandering through... Uh, sorry, Tom Hanks wandering through the city. And then you had the scene of his friends driving around a corner and down a straight road and then back to Tom Hanks walking and then back to the car driving some more. It was, <laughs> it, it was like the most the last, bizarre like... filler ever. Yeah, they're like, literally, oh, we've only got really enough for an hour and 20. We need to fill out another 20 minutes. Let's just, well, they did it for Blues Brothers. Let's just have a car chase. Well, <laughs> the car chase, but you know what I mean. But, oh, God. So, yeah, no, I thought that was quite strange. And then you've got, yeah, in the cuts of Tom Hanks me doing his hallucinatory sort of stumbling and and um, meet, and I'm um, coming in contact with that gang. With oh, I love that. He, yeah, he the guy mugged by a couple of guys, and he sees him as a, a creature. I'm just going to call a dragon man, so that we don't have to try and remember the name that it's been given in the film. Yeah, oh, thank God, so he sees remember. this guy as a dragon man. What I love about this is later on in the film, he sees another couple of guys, and he hallucinates that they're the guys who are going to mug him. But those guys that were going to mug him, he'd originally hallucinated was a dragon man. So his hallucinations are just, they're very um, inception. They go one level or they step up a different level or they go down two levels. It's very much all over the place. But the, the moment of clarity he has after after seeing the original mugger and uh, basically stabbing him with a pocket knife and he's there in the phone booth calling Kate, which is the only reason they find out he's in New York, is he briefly comes to his senses and calls Kate. And just just his reaction and, and his performance, I think, you know, going, is, is that Oscar winner? Is that the Oscar winner coming out? And he goes, is that a hands? I killed him. It was. It's, it's anyone who sees that who's about to go and make Joe versus a volcano, they're going, that's our guy. That's who we want. <laughs> hey, don't knock Joe versus a volcano. Come on. <laughs> hey, that is, right. that is the best Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic film in existence. I've heard many people say the same thing. So. <laughs> But um, I, I had to laugh. I don't know if it was the fact that we, we've sort of just come off sort of ha- Halloween recently, so it's kind of relevant. But of course, when you've got all these people wearing costumes, why don't we have a? Why don't we have them go to a Halloween party? Uh, I don't know. I just thought that was just one of those things. I'm like, oh, I just felt too obvious. And of course, you had to that had to leave it open for the bird to repeat Halloween, Halloween, which I knew as that it kept doing that through the movie. I'm like, this is this is going to have to mean something, surely. Oh, Merlin, Merlin the Raven. That was just Merlin. That was it. Such a bizarre uh, pet. He, he was um, a he wasn't a raven. Oh, I've forgotten the name of the bird. It's the ones that mimic pretty much every anything. Uh, minor bird. It was a minor bird. Minor bird. Oh, yeah. 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 And if you uh, if you YouTube. David Attenborough minor bird, you get some of the best footage of a minor bird mimicking ridiculous sounds like chainsaws or the click of the shutters of a camera. God. So, 
Whereas we just end up with Merlin, who pretty much can only say Halloween. Birds <laughs> can't and talk. Birds can't talk. Birds don't speak. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, the Halloween party, I was disappointed because you've got all these people turning up and Tom Hanks is in the corner, just blank face, which he spends most of the movie once he, he starts having his issues, pretty much blank face, and these monsters are walking in. I thought that I, I just come up with at any point he's going to freak out or he's going to try to do something, and he just he just walks off. And, and nothing considering happens. he was in his um, monsters and mazes characters outfit, so clearly he was in the character's persona. He was just surrounded do. by monsters, and he doesn't yeah, do anything. I- that's what I thought as soon as that Halloween party scene started. I thought this is them setting up for something where, I don't know, he's mixed up on what's real and what's not, or all the people, all the guests become monsters. Yeah, considering the front cover, I believe, of the DVD or the poster or whatever is pretty much them wearing all the outfits. So I thought, okay, this is the, the key scene. But yeah, it didn't, nothing happened. Nothing eventuated from that. You can say a lot about a lot of the scenes in this movie. It's like something happens and nothing comes from it. <laughs> But then I wonder too, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not too familiar with t- TV movies as such, so I don't know if I'm maybe missing this is the formula that a lot of these sort of follow. They're not necessarily made to be, yeah, these big blockbusters that have these huge climactic scenes. So I, they kind of just plod along, and I think that's really what the whole feel of Mazes and Monsters has. It's, it's like they didn't really know where they were heading. And even you get to the end of the film where, you know, Tom Hanks has been convinced by his dead brother in the form of uh, God of his clerical order to jump off the top of the World Trade Center. And his friends rescue him by just turning up and talking to him and saying, hey, it was a game. And Tom Hanks goes, oh, it was a game. I better stop being a crazy person now. He doesn't um, just do that. He goes, what am I doing? And then you're expecting him straight to go to the... Um, well, you're straight expecting it to go the epilogue then, or the you know the final scene, and think oh, it's all resolved again, and then yeah. It's well, this is the thing; they've weird. come to a, a happy ending, and it's almost like they've gone, "Oh, hang on, this was supposed to be a cautionary tale," and they don't change the ending. They add an epilogue on where he has gone insane, and pretty much just leads it ends with them him leading them up the garden path, and then they're pretty much just like they've gone, "Well, okay, this is what he's like now. Let's just go along with it and play along." So, yeah, it is like what you said, they'd forgotten about the cautionary thing, because it was almost becoming a two, oh, my God, friends are a good thing. No, nah, we can't have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because yeah, those friends, they were really dedicated, and they were, like, really supportive. And, and uh, if you focus the on them, they... they tried to cover up his disappearance or their involvement in his disappearance. Well, like, they just dropped, they randomly dropped, yeah, they dropped the map in the car, like, that was a big setup to him, like, creeping up to the car, and then, then it just becomes a scene where he goes, oh, yeah, someone was kind enough to drop a map for us, move on. Yeah, it didn't actually <laughs> help us at all. Yeah, it didn't help us at all, I'm like, oh, why'd you bloody set all that up? <laughs> but, but, yeah, it was. Yeah, there's this area full of cops, cars and lights everywhere, JJ sneaks up in a JJ outfit, which includes a bright white scarf, I mean, pure <laughs> stealth. And, and and the Biggles helmet. And, and the Biggles helmet, indeed. <laughs> They're totally inconspicuous. <laughs> but, but yeah. But through, through all that section, and it had happened at other points in the films where it's like, oh, I'm in a morally grey area, and the, you know, I'm, I'm probably not doing the right thing, and maybe I should do the right thing. Um, was almost, you know, had this very uh, Christian teen, um, you know, you feel that you may be doing something wrong and it's going to have consequences. And then it never really had consequences and it was never addressed. So it was setting up these these tiny little points of these people are, are morally ambiguous and and doing the wrong thing by themselves and their friend and it's going to come and bite them in the ass and it never does. Yeah, it's pretty much just. It pretty much just is. Don't play Maze of the Monsters or Dungeons and Dragons. That's pretty much what they're wanting to get across because it doesn't even. Yeah, it's the way with the way it ends and everything. So it's, yeah, but they keep on adding extra things in, and you know, don't lie to policemen and and this, <laughs> don't, know, put, gonna, don't put maps in police cars while you're wearing a, a bright outfit. Well, what was it? A yellow scarf or a white scarf? <laughs> yeah, and and the um the guy whose father wants him to become a successful businessman, he's you know he sleeps around with uh, lots of girls. And he's like, oh, I've got this reputation, and I can't find a nice girl now because any nice girl's heard of my reputation, and and nothing really happens with that storyline at all. 
Oh, you, just, you do wonder though if it had, if they had had a big budget and made it this big screen film. You know, the, there's so many possibilities there with subplots and all these different things. You think, yeah, wow, this could have been a fantastic film, but obviously they, it wasn't a big budget film, and this is what we've got instead. So, but then I, it, I don't it know. Needs it needs to may be not a three and a half hour per movie trilogy, Lord of the Rings style. I was even thinking something like Stephen King's It, you know, one of those two-parter sort of things, you know, like it's like a TV movie like that. But yeah, there's just there's cramming so much in there. That said, it still felt like yeah, you wouldn't want it any longer than what it was. But yeah, you still sort of felt like it. It wasn't. Yeah, nothing was resolved. Too many paths going down different directions and not leading anywhere. I think it resolved the fact that probably what you shouldn't do is take someone who is uh, obviously already having issues and having uh, some mental problems, uh, you probably shouldn't take them LARPing into a dangerous cave system. <laughs> Definitely. Or, scaring or them probably with... just into a dangerous cave system at all, ever. Yeah. True. <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out, like, it, it was kind of based in reality and the game's going to do bad things, and then it got to that and, and this monster jumps up and I'm like, oh, hang on, are they actually touching into the fact that by playing this game, they've triggered some demonic force. And no, 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 it was just mental illness all along. Um, <laughs> I that would have been interesting if that had been where they were going. Oh, see, I wish they'd done it that way. That would have made it a bit more interesting, not just going back to the whole mental illness thing. Because, yeah, they could have con- uh, brought it up as a concept of these people literally, I don't know, I don't know, made their way into this fantasy world. I don't know. There could have been so many more exciting possibilities with it, but it just, no, nah, had to be the mental illness they were thing. playing the devil game! <laughs> well, when they're trying to say that the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is such a bad thing to play, but then the only bad thing that happens to anyone is someone who's suffered mental trauma long before they've started playing the game. The game has very little to do with it. Yeah, and especially when in the, in the amount of times they actually play the game board-wise, you know, in front of it, like, as we said, with all the creepy candles, the amount of times they do that isn't that much. You know, I, I sort of feel like they could have... That's another thing they could have done, actually, the gameplay of it more with that sort of stuff rather than taking it down to the cabin straight away. But, hey, maybe yeah, Now, can we talk about the gameplay? The, the yeah. um, JJ goes, oh, you know, we play twice a week is one of his comments at the start. And then later on he says, I haven't played for three days. I want to play again soon. But then um, Tom Hanks, his character, and Kate um, break up because uh, wonderfully Tom Hanks is convinced by uh, the God Hall that he needs to be celibate. <laughs> was just That's great. So they break up and then it jumps straight to a scene where Kate is talking to um, Daniel, the the fancy blonde guy. Yeah, Daniel. And from that scene, apparently, you know, like a few months have gone by and they're having this conversation. But hang on, haven't you been playing your game like twice a week? Yeah. For these months? It. It, it, it seems like they didn't, they, they just skipped, glossed over the game for those few months while, uh, while Kate and Tom Hanks broke up. Yeah. So the like, timeline was very that. confusing there. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, was very strange, yeah. And, and then, yeah, I've, I've still also got no idea, like, after that scene between Kate and Daniel where they, they end up seeming to get together, uh, and then for some reason, when Kate's driving home, she sees somebody ride past her on a bike, and and then she gets convinced. She, she turns around and she... Is somehow convinced that Daniel, uh, the blonde superstar apparently, has, has gone, gone down to this cave system where she promptly gets lost, and then Daniel has to come along and rescue her. It, like, very, um, there was, I suppose, a number of uh, logic yeah, leaps so I put think in. that had to be a different night as well. Okay. So oh, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think that was the same night as when she and Daniel hooked up. But the, like it appeared, like it happened immediately after it. It's almost like yeah. he was driving home after meeting up with him, and then suddenly he's on a on a bike, biking his way to the to the cabins, and then coming the, the other way. Like he he could ride his bike home and then back again faster than she could drive. Mind you, given the logic in this movie, I would not be surprised if that was actually the case. <laughs> Maybe we needed the ad break so we knew that we could differentiate the different days in the film. <laughs> Ah, that's it. Maybe it makes more sense with ad breaks. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking. 
So as, yeah. as a cautionary tale, once again, I'm going to keep on going back to this cautionary tale. As a cautionary tale, poor uh, Tom Hanks, they find him at his home um, and he's well and truly in the game and they humour him for this uh, this visit. And uh, I think the voiceover tends to imply that they're not going to be going back again. It's their one last adventure with him and then they'll be leaving him to go back to the real world. And they've all grown up and become adults. And, you know, the, the wonderful reward they get from turning away from the game is... Uh, now, let's see. the Daniel, the, the blonde super stud, has gone to business school and JJ has uh, joined the amateur theatre group at uh, the university. Mm-hmm. And Kate has... Written a successful novel about what happened. That's right. They... She's writing a novel yeah. <laughs> about mazes and monsters and I wonder what if, happened I to, wonder if she wrote, to Tom Yeah, I wonder if she wrote in a couple of days. <laughs> Russ released it. I wonder if that's, yeah, that's what they're going with there. But yeah, Kate, of course you have to write the story. But that's actually interesting, like, I was, the whole tying up with the book, like, it could have opened as, you know, her starting to tell the tale, or, you know, the book, but it was interesting how it opens with the scenes with the cops trying to find, you know, pretty much saying, you know, there's a guy that disappeared down in the tunnels, etc. But then we pretty much come back to that point in the movie about sort of halfway or, you know, about two-thirds of the way through. So it was interesting how it decided to start that way as well. So I don't know. I thought well, they, they started that way so that you knew that something bad happened to one person, but you didn't know who. So you, you kept yeah. on, on seeing what choices are these people going to make to lead one of them into this bad situation and who's it going to be. And like we mentioned before, you know, JJ is what we thought it was going to be JJ initially. And then, you know, Kate gets stuck down there and Daniel's down there as well. And one thing, yeah, one thing about that opening, which, which jumped out to me is that when the reporter's talking to the cop and, and it's revealed that, Oh, it's a game of mazes of monsters that goes wrong. And there's a little conversation there. And uh, I think it's the cop who basically says, and this is almost a direct quote. It's a psychodrama game that could lead to loss of life. (laughs) Oh my God. That there's your cautionary tale there. (laughs) I think later on the same cop calls also calls it like a, a, a far out game. So. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. So there you go. But There's yeah. a person in authority telling you mazes and monsters is not a good game to play. It's far out. <laughs> oh god. But yeah. So no, I, I thought it was interesting that the, the scene in the tunnel too. I think it was with JJ where he's like, "No, I won't commit suicide in the tunnel. We'll just play mazes and monsters here instead." It was that was a really weird part for me, like trying to yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because it was about. That was what I gathered. He was going to commit suicide, or he thought it was a good place to commit suicide. And that's when I suppose we we were thinking that he was going to be the, you know, the troubled one. I suppose. No, instead he invents LARPing. So if you don't know what LARPing is, it's live action role playing. Ooh. <laughs> and there's a great film uh, based on LARPing. Um, I uh, cannot remember the name of it. Knights of Bad Ass Bad Astum. Is that the one yes. you're thinking of? Yes, it is. The Knights <laughs> of Bad Astum. Oh, yeah. Um, and get get your hands on that one and have a uh, watch of it. It's on so Netflix, it's, uh... guys. Easy. Oh, cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> we keep talking about better movies. We probably should keep talking about that, about this one. Uh, I'm guessing with, with this, because, yeah, uh, I kept thinking that there was a... Just just going through another thing, the uh, the soundtrack of this movie and, and the uh, rather wondrous opening song and you realize the same song like when uh when kate and robbie are getting together this song's playing again and then there's a lot there's a line about just being friends i'm thinking hang on are they just going to be friends oh no no they're together <laughs> yeah she'd already written the song they couldn't change it <laughs> but, <laughs> that, yeah but just like one of those tv movie romantic yeah kind of songs and it's just as soon as that came on i just felt like i was watching what is it what channel do they call it? The Lifetime Channel or something? Friends in this world. Um, uh, I think there was a, a slight thing that over the, the thankfully very short uh, closing credits, the fact that it was an instrumental version of that song, so at least we didn't have to go through any of the horrible lyrics anymore. Yeah, well, while we're talking about that, Trevor, yeah, that is one of the one times where I've gone, we have to watch it to the end because I'm like, it's just going to be that damn song. <laughs> <laughs> 
but we made it. We, we, I live to tell the tale. <laughs> yes, a very short closing credit was very much appreciated after sitting through this movie. Well, again, we, we've gotten to the closing credit, so I guess that's a pretty good place to wrap up our general discussion and start talking about if there is actually anything redeemable in this movie. So I, I think we, we must let our guests go first. So, so Steve, from this movie, were, were there any particular items that you found particularly redeemable, or, or can you uh, redeem this movie? Look, there was, there was that one moment that I found redeemable, um, which I spoke about during the podcast, and now I've completely forgotten it. So... That's uh, that's like a lot of things that happens in this film. You just want to forget them so so quickly. <laughs> so that sums it up perfectly there. What you think? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh wait, no. The the one redeemable feature is the papyrus uh, hand scrawled notes in the classic college binders that they use to play mazes and monsters. That's that's the redeemable feature. Oh, the fact that that's the redeemable feature. <laughs> but hey, at least yeah, well, look, that. look, that's that's pretty much all it's got. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're saying that that you uh, you would you're you're not saying that this movie would be redeemable overall, then, Steve. That's that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Christian, what are your thoughts? I struggle with this, and, and every time we do this, you know me, Trevor, yada yada, I always put it into historical context, or I feel a bit sorry for it. But this is honestly a film that I it exists. Look, I, I think you summed it up best the other day. It, it's a film with Tom Hanks. Like, I think literally I, I am struggling to find more to say about this. You know, if I had to sit down and watch it again, you know, if I was forced to or, or, or had to watch it again for some other reason, you know, hey, I'd do it. I've seen hundreds of, or thousands of worse movies than this. But I, I'm really struggling to find any redeeming features for it. Okay, maybe it shows the positivities of friendship, but that's a really stupid, loose way of doing it. It has so much potential to be this kind of... This, a mystery, a kind of about a guy that disappears and what kind of happens and, and the psychological thing, but instead just becomes this, this cautionary tale which they're trying to shove down your throat so much. So, look, I, I can't redeem it. It exists. That's all I can say. It's not putrid. It's, it's not, not a pile of, you know, horse manure, but it exists, you know, and, I, 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 yeah, I can't say anything else about this movie. Fair enough. So it's two votes against. Let's see if I can bring anything to this. I mean, certainly, the first thing that I've found about it, for a cautionary tale, again, I mentioned it earlier, it certainly shows the three friends of Tom Hanks as being pretty well together, even if they are playing this far-out sacred drama of a game. So, for its intent and what it delivers, is a very interesting, uh, very interesting conflict with regards to, uh, to how it's portrayed. To me, it seemed more the cautionary tale was if you're having existing mental mental issues, then things can happen that can make them worse. Uh, that first act, though, that very first act where we're meeting the kids and seeing them with their hugely dysfunctional parents, I found myself thinking, is this edging towards so bad it's good? I found myself watching it with a horrified fascination. But then when it got into the plot proper, that's when it really started dragging. Uh, I think towards the end, with uh, with Tom Hanks' moments of horrified realisation when he suddenly comes back to reality in the heart of New York and just the sheer overacting given to us by Tom Hanks, again, I thought that was edging towards, but not quite getting there. So I really think it's interesting to watch this movie just to see how far Tom Hanks has come. And there's a few things that, start edging it towards being so bad it becomes fascinating but ultimately the sheer uh, amount is dragged out and and it feels so much longer than it actually is it it does make this movie fall short so i'm agreeing with you guys this movie is not redeemable oh my gosh that's three people unanimous (laughs) (laughs) consensus <laughs> oh gosh! So yeah, so it's irredeemable. Interesting. So, but, um, yeah, so I'm, we I'm can glad... finally shut the gates on that maze and the monsters that lurk therein. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and maybe we might look at Dungeons and Dragons in the future. But I think I might be having a bit of a break <laughs> from all that sort of stuff for now, especially <laughs> redeeming features wise. <laughs> Indeed, but um, can we shut the gate? 
maybe, just maybe, there's people out there who liked this movie. I, uh, I went back to Amazon, and I found this little beauty. Wow, was Tom Hanks really this young? I remember the, watching this movie as a kid and loved every second of it. Based on Rona Jaffe's novel of the same name, it's a super book. It really isn't a reef of madness about role-playing, although the D&D Made Me Kill hysteria of the early 80s most likely enabled this movie to be made. Uh, great performances by Hanks and Makepeace. Honestly, it's a dysfunctional coming-of-age piece. JJ is a rich kid who just wants to be loved and is coming to grips with his parents' emotional distance. Robbie is haunted with the belief that letting his brother take money from his wallet and not telling his parents directly caused his brother's stabbing death in the city. Things start out innocent until the stresses of real life start to drive Robbie over the edge. After checking the reviews, I do have to warn that this movie, like many other 80s TV shows and movies, are most likely only going to be enjoyed by those who liked them way back when. Five stars. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, a, a different take again. Uh, not, not so much looking at it as a, uh, a cautionary tale, looking at it as more as a coming-of-age film. So does that sway anyone's opinion? It's a very dark coming-of-age film, but a very negative one, it feels like, in some respects. But yeah, no, I don't know, I see it, but it hasn't changed any of my opinions. <laughs> it's go. good to know there's fans out there, but hey, there's a, I'm sure there's a fan of every film. And uh, we, we will find them. Every time we talk about one yeah. of these movies, we will find that fan. <laughs> they, they, always, they always seem to head to Amazon, don't they? <laughs> That's the easiest place to find reviews. Look, as you know, I myself am a fan of uh, films that no one else seems to like, and I'm one of the few people I know who much prefers shock treatment over Rocky Horror. So, you know, we will find people who like weird stuff. But in this oh, instance, you... uh, I'm fairly, firmly on your side of Unredeemable for this one. Fair enough. There we go. So, uh, well, we, uh, I can't say we're finishing on a high point, uh, um, but I can say we're finishing on an interesting point for the year. With uh, Mazes and Monsters from 1982 getting a resounding irredeemable across the board. And uh, may we never watch this pile of tripe again. Yay! Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, before we, I suppose, wrap things up, I again would like to very much thank Steve for, for joining us and uh, adding his, uh, his insights to this uh, very interesting conversation. And, uh, Thank Steve? you so much for having me and stealing one hour and 40 minutes of my life that I will never see again. As part of the redeeming features magic, Steve. <laughs> Thank the living tell the tale. <laughs> so, Steve, just while we've got you on here, uh, I'll sort of like, give the floor over to you, or the Skype over to you, and I understand you, you're involved with another podcast and, and a few other things, so if you would like to uh, plug a couple of things, here's your chance. Uh, well, first of all, because uh, this is role-playing-centric, uh, I'll throw a quick call out to a new podcast called Dragon Friends, which is a D&D game performed live uh, with guest improvisers and improvised music. So if you track down Dragon Friends, uh, you get to listen to other people playing Dungeons & Dragons in a very comedic fashion. Uh, I do a little bit of work uh, in the behind the scenes for a podcast smart enough to know better. It's a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. You can find them at smartenough.org. I myself am heavily involved in Brisbane Arts Theatre. We are currently performing Avenue Q, an adult puppet show like Sesame Street, but maybe a bit cheaper to rent there. Uh, so you can find us at 210 Petrie Terrace or on the website artstheatre.com.au. Fantastic. And I can certainly recommend Smart Enough to Know Better. I have started listening to that lately, and it's very, very enjoyable. Excellent. So uh, normally here we would talk about our next Redeeming Features movie, but that's not going to happen till next year. So, uh, yeah, but we still want to hear from, from anybody out there. If you have any thoughts on Mazes and Monsters, do you think we've been too harsh? Do you think that even though we found it irredeemable, have we been too generous? 
you can let us know by finding the Rufus Project quite easily on Twitter or Facebook. We've got the email, therufusproject at gmail.com, or you can head to our homepage, therufusproject.podomatic.com, and leave a comment below this very podcast. Uh, don't forget, if you also have any suggestions or requests for movies you would like us to redeem or you would like to challenge us with, we're game. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, you won't be hearing the regular podcast again until early in the new year, uh, but we will have a Christmas special on its way, so definitely keep an eye on Twitter and Facebook if you want to know more about that. Oh, there's been some great ones this year, Trevor. It's been fun, so but I'm looking forward to seeing what the Christmas one brings as well. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. thanks so much, Steve, for joining us and, and throwing some light on it for us as well. Thanks so much for having me. Yep, thank you, guys. So bad it's good, what's this movie, do you think we should? It's got bad dialogue, dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Boy? Oh boy. Christian and Trevor on the case, watching movies from all over the place. I'm the beast, it's bad, but we want to know, is it fun to be had? Boy? Oh boy. Redeeming features. <laughs>